0: Well, today I'd like to preach on the topic of conscience. I'd like to speak about the centrality of the conscience to our spiritual and moral lives and how it's important for us to be men and women of conscience. In our gospel text, the Lord says, "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire and they will be burned. In this passage, our Lord is speaking about the importance of remaining in his grace Through the sacrament of baptism, we are, as it were, engrafted into Christ, like a branch into a living vine. This gift of grace given to us in baptism, eventually in the world to come, bears the fruit of eternal salvation. Conversely, those who through mortal sin do not remain in Christ but lose their baptismal grace and wither like a dead branch, in the world to come, they will be thrown into the fire. Our Lord is making here an obvious allusion to hell. So, whether we go to heaven or hell depends on whether or not we live and die in God's grace. This is very important stuff. We should ask ourselves, how do we know whether we are in God's grace? Well, there are a number of signs that we can look for to know this, but the most important one is the sign of a testimony of a good conscience. Are you aware of having committed any serious sins that you have not brought to the sacrament of confession? If your conscience is free and unburdened in regard to serious sin, then you can have confidence that you are in a state of grace. And we see this in our second reading, where St. John tells us, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. St. John is talking here about our conscience. A little before this, he says, Children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Now this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Notice the last part of this phrase. This is how we shall reassure our hearts before him. Again, what we are dealing with here is the conscience. And note, those last four words, our hearts before Him. Yes, our hearts before Him, before God. When we turn off the television and leave the crowd behind, and clear out the random voices from our heads. We can enter into our hearts and find a space of truth, a space where we are alone with our own self-knowledge and with God. And the question then naturally arises, before whom do we live our lives? Before the eyes of the police? Before the eyes of our parents? Before the eyes of someone we want to impress for some reason? Or do we live our lives before God? In the sight of God? Do we live our lives from our hearts before God? Are we a person of conscience? I am reminded of a psychological experiment that has been called the Marshmallow Test. And the experiment is conducted as follows. A four- or five-year-old child is seated at a table. Within view of his eyes and in reach of his hands is a big white marshmallow. The child is told by the adult that if they can wait just 15 minutes and not eat the marshmallow, they can have another marshmallow. Two is better than one, right? But you have to wait. And then the adult leaves the room and the child is there all by himself. And there's no adult watching him. The child is being recorded, of course, but he doesn't know that. The responses of the various children are very funny. One little girl begins to stare at the marshmallow and shake, fixing her eyes upon it so intently you'd think she was going to burn holes into it. She then decides to sit in her chair sideways so that she doesn't have to look at the marshmallow. But then she begins to sneak furtive glances at the marshmallow Another child, after trying his best to exercise self-control, picks up the marshmallow and sniffs it, bringing it close to his nose and his mouth. He then catches himself and places it back down on the table, laying his hands on his brow, looking tortured and distraught. <laughs> then there's the little girl who picks little pieces off the marshmallow. And eats them, all the while looking around to see if there's anybody watching her. And then there's the little girl who interprets not eating the marshmallow in a very broad and generous sense. She decides to simply chew its surface off so that what we're left with in the end is a wet and sticky globular marshmallow core. And then finally, there's the child who, as soon as the adult has left the room, has got the marshmallow in her mouth and has swallowed it down whole. Forget about that vague, distant promise about two marshmallows when you've got a real live one right in front of you. Well, you can find lots of recordings of this experiment on YouTube, and I'll be putting a link to one of them up on my website. The marshmallow test might at first seem to be about cute little kids and their antics, and it is that. But it's also an opportunity for us adults to ask ourselves, what do we do when no one is watching? Do we live our lives before the eyes of men, or do we live our lives before God? Are we men and women of conscience? Here is a very famous quote from the Second Vatican Council document, Gaudium et Space. In the depths of his conscience, man detects a law which he does not impose upon himself, but which holds him to obedience, always summoning him to love Good, and avoid evil. The voice of conscience, when necessary, speaks to his heart. Do this, shun that. For man has in his heart a law written by God. To obey it is the very dignity of man. According to it, he will be judged. Conscience is the most secret core and sanctuary of a man. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Unquote. My brothers and sisters, we as rational beings must enter frequently As often as we can into that secret core and sanctuary that is our conscience. We must continually visit this space in our hearts. We must learn to listen always to the voice of conscience. And what does that voice say? It says, love the good. Now what exactly is good? Our conscience might not always get right, and this is why we need to form our conscience through effort and reflection and discussion and study. Nonetheless, the one thing our conscience will always get right is that we must love and do what is good. We can't ignore our conscience, We can distance ourselves by a myriad of external activities so as to not have to pay attention to its voice. We can even suppress the voice of our conscience. But the one thing we can never do is make our conscience tell us to love what is evil and what is wrong. Our conscience will always tell us to love the good Conscience is the place within our hearts where we learn how to fall in love with the moral good. Now I began this homily with our gospel text in which we heard about the importance of remaining in God's grace and about heaven and hell. The fear of hell and the desire for the rewards of heaven really are legitimate motives in the moral life, but they are not the highest motives. The highest motive for doing what is morally good is the love of what is morally good. If we truly love the moral good for its own sake, simply because it is intrinsically lovable, We have the love of God in our hearts, and we are in his grace. And it is our conscience that teaches us to love the good. This is why we need to live our lives as men and women of conscience, always listening to its voice, and day by day falling more and more in love with what is good. In this way, we will remain in God's grace and thereby prove to be branches of Christ, the true vine.